0: today about hell's worst nightmare. How many of you have ever had hell give you trouble? How many of you would like to give hell some heaven? Okay. Then let's look here at Luke chapter 4 verse 31 part 2 of the awesome amazing astonishing Jesus of Nazareth. Then Jesus went to Capernaum a town in Galilee And taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Notice Jesus went to church every Sabbath. Just thought I'd point that out. And what did it say? The people were, read it with me, amazed. I'm only pulling on texts that use the word amazed or astonished when referring to people's reaction to Jesus Christ. So there it is, amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting. So the devil went to church. (laughs) Everybody's looking at each other. (laughs) And I want to also remind you all that and, I, and I, I love amens, but this is being recorded for radio every single week. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind because we have to edit out. If it's a real big scream, you know why? It scares people around you. But amen me all you want to. That's great. But I want you to notice the devil went to church. You know why he went? Because he wasn't afraid. You know why? Jesus wasn't there. But look what happened when Jesus came to church. He said, go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor. Well, this was this was animated church. Threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. And what's the next word? Amazed. The people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess! Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. And the news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. When Jesus is in the house, the news spreads. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray that you will help us to get a grasp, a higher grasp, a deeper grasp on who it is we worship, the greatness of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, awesome. I love preaching on the awesome, amazing, astonishing Jesus of Nazareth. And here we have a Bible account of Jesus casting out a demon from a man. Now we kind of go through that, we zip past that, we don't stop to think about what we just read. Because this immediately brings us to face or face-to-face, with the reality of evil in our world. The Gospels reveal that Jesus spent about 25% of his ministry casting out demons. When you read the Bible, you have to come to terms with what the Bible tells us about evil and about the devil, about satanic attack, Jesus' ministry, from the moment he was anointed by God, he was confronted by demon spirits that responded when he came on the scene. And Jesus had authority over them. Did you know that Jesus presented his power over demon spirits as proof of who he was? He was told one day that Herod wanted to kill him. And Jesus sent him a message. Look at the message he sent to Herod. He said, go tell that fox that I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. His goal was to rise from the dead. Jesus was born to die and then to be raised from the dead. He said, that's my goal. And he let Herod know that until I am resurrected, you're going to hear of me driving demons out. Jesus said that the casting out of demons was proof that the kingdom of God had come through him. He said, quote, but if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God is that Satan can't stay in the same room. Where the anointing of God's spirit falls, the enemy can't stay there. The enemy is stirred up, driven out everywhere that Jesus went. The enemy had to, had, to, had to be exposed, had to reveal himself, and lost his position in the life of someone else. When Jesus showed up, the apostle John stated that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, the devil, Satan, 1 John 3, 8. Now, we read these things, demons, demons, Satan, the devil, and it's amazing how in our day of terrorism, mayhem, rampant pornography, perversion, manifestations of evil everywhere, chaos, tumult, bloodshed, threats, war, rumors of war, destruction at every turn. It's amazing that there would even be a question that there is such a thing as evil, or as a devil. But it's a great big controversy today. I've seen them talk about it on the news programs when something horrific happens in our country. They have this big discussion. Well, is there really such a thing as evil? Is there really such a thing as a devil? What is evil? They opine. They wonder and they go into it. And what is it? And where would it come from? And there are actually people who think there is no such being as Satan. They view him as a mythical being, sort of like Santa Claus, except evil. He's something out of Greek mythology or the Brothers Grimm or something concocted out of the mind of man, a fairy tale. And evil in the world, they say, comes from our own brutish instincts we inherited from our animal ancestors who swung through the trees by their tails. Can I tell you today that You never had an ancestor that swung through the tree on the tail because God made man fully formed and mature. We did not evolve from apes or monkeys. It's not true. It's a great deception. Evolution is preposterous. They reject as religious mumbo jumbo the idea that there really is a Satan who is alive and powerful and deliberately trying to wreck and ruin our world. In a recent poll by Barner Research Company, it was revealed that six out of ten Americans reject the existence of Satan, indicating that the devil or Satan is merely a symbol of evil, that when we see something really bad happen, we want to symbolize it, and so we, we say, well, that was Satanic or that was Satan-like, but They don't really mean there's a real Satan. It's a symbol. But is that true? What does the Bible say clearly and distinctly about the devil, Satan, demons, a dark side, a fourth dimension, another world that you can't see, taste, touch, smell, or feel with your senses, but it's there? According to the Bible, Evil is very real. And it entered the world in the very beginning through the first couple. In Genesis 2-9, we find that in the garden that God created way back in the genesis of mankind, there was a tree of life, and then there was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There it was. God said to the first couple, you can do anything. I have made you gloriously beautiful. We can't even comprehend what Adam and Eve looked like. They walked in the Shekinah glory of God. There was no sin, no darkness, no stain, no barrier between them and God. They walked with Him in the cool of the garden. They conversed with Him like I'm conversing with you. God was right there They had unbroken fellowship with Him. They glowed in the dark. They were filled with the glory of God. They were these stupendous created beings. God created them after His own image. And there stood the tree of good and evil. And God said, now you can do anything that you want. I've made this beautiful creation. Look at this Eden, this garden. But you cannot touch that one tree. That's the one tree I don't want you to touch. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they heard this. They only had a little bit of Bible to remember. Don't eat that tree. I mean, that's not a lot of Bible to remember. That's an easy memory verse, right? Don't eat that tree. I've given you everything else but don't eat that tree. Well, isn't it amazing? The devil is able to twist and warp even one verse in their mind. So suddenly there's an enemy. Eve is off alone. She's about a stone's throw away from Adam, far enough away for the enemy to spot her and to appeal to her and to attack her mind. And I want you to know today that Satan is after your mind. God goes for your heart. Satan goes for your mind. He attacks you between your ears. He attacks you in your thought life. He attacks you in your thinking. There is his playground. That is where he goes to bring you down, your mind. God goes after your heart to convict it and draw it and woo it and touch it with his love and his spirit. But the devil goes for your mind. So he went for Eve's mind. He approached her in the form of a serpent. Now as soon as he's there, As soon as the devil appears there, we know that there is a prior history with this creature. Because he's already been judged. He's already lost his position with God. He's already been cast down to earth as a disembodied spirit. And now he has chosen to occupy the body of a serpent to tempt Eve. So there you have it right there. He comes up to her and he immediately attacked the word of God In her thinking, he attacked Eve's mind by sowing a threefold doubt. First, he attacked the authorship of the word of God. He said, Eve, has God said? Are you sure that it's God who told you what you think you understand about that tree? He attacked the authorship, just like he does you and me. See, the devil can't take you down unless he can take the word down in your mind. And so he attacks us. When we're in the middle of a temptation, here's what he does. He comes and says, now are you sure that what you think is true really came from God? Are you sure that God told you that? Or is that just something men made up? Is that just something you read? How do you know it really came from God? Has God said, are you sure, Eve, that what you understand about that tree came from God? Doubt. Second, he attacked the accuracy of God's word. He said, are you sure the devil questioned her? Are you sure that you were not to eat of every tree in the garden? Are you sure, Eve, that God really did forbid that one tree? Yeah, yeah, you've got a word from God. I get it. But but are you sure you understood it right? And see if he can get you questioning whether or not you understand lots of things about the Word of God, you know, the, the things that the, the Word of God tells us we can do or cannot do. The enemy wants to come to you in your mind, and he wants to get you to questioning, did it come from God, and are you sure you understand it correctly? Maybe you were taught wrong. Maybe you've misunderstood it, because after all, it doesn't logically make a lot of sense to you right now in the heat of this temptation. So, Are you sure, Eve, that God excluded that one tree? Are you sure? Now, here she is. She's standing there. Adam has no idea what's going on behind the scenes, that his wife is under attack. So here she is. She's going through all, I don't know. Did God say? And I don't know. Maybe I didn't understand what God said. And then here comes the third attack. He attacked, attacked the acceptability of God's word. Is this reasonable, Eve? Would God really keep you from that beautiful tree? So appealing to the eye? Looks so right? Looks so reasonable? Look at that tree, Eve. Look at that tree. It's beautiful. Look at the fruit on that tree. Why would God, Eve, keep you from something so beautiful? Why would He forbid that? Forbid you from going to that tree and accessing that tree and eating the fruit fruit of that tree. Eve, it doesn't make sense. Are you sure God said it? Have you misunderstood it? Is that reasonable? Look at it. He does the same thing with you and me. Are you sure God said it? Have you understood it correctly? And why would God keep you from that? It seems so natural. It seems so right. It looks so logical. How could it be wrong? Well, Standing there by herself, her husband, knowing nothing about the attack. She eats of the fruit, and then she takes it to Adam and appeals to his heart. You love me, don't you, baby? Now, let me tell you something about temptation, everybody. There is no temptation more powerful than the one that comes at you through a person you love. So are you sure, baby, hey, Adam, hey, this fruit, it was so good. We misunderstood God. I don't think God really said it. Eat it with me. Come on, honey. You love me, don't you? Let's do this together. He said, you got me. They ate, and watch this now. When they ate, Satan, hand in hand with evil, entered the human drama and plunged the world into bondage and chaos. He was able to get a grip on this world and take authority over this world because the head of the human race, to whom God had given authority over all the world, lost it, gave it up for that one piece of fruit from that tree. And I want to tell you, every temptation of Satan is is designed to bring bondage and chaos into your life and mine, to wreck us in the sight of God. He wants to wreck us, and He does it this way. He takes out from under you the props of the Word of God and gets you to thinking and questioning it until finally you go, well, I was wrong about it. And you go off and you sin, and He never tells you what's behind that door. He never lets you see the pain, the regret, the chaos, the tears, the sorrow, the repercussions. He never lets you see that. He only wants you looking at the object. So evil is anything and everything that is done apart from the will of God. If you want to know what evil is, it's anything done apart from the will of God. And that's the definition of sin. When you do something, anything that is not of faith is sin. Anything that is not of obedient, in obedience to God is sin. Whether you believe in Him or not, The Bible reveals the devil, Satan, Diabolos, to be a living being with a total hatred of God and anything God loves. He is not a figment. He is not an idea. He is not something made up. He is a creature that has fallen and is under God's judgment. Satan himself is pure evil. Now, this is where it gets good. The Bible says that following the fall of man, God promised to bring forth a person, capital P, who would be Satan's undoing. God said to the serpent in the presence of the fall, he said, Here's what's coming your way, buddy. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. That means a death blow and you will strike his heel, showing that even way back in Genesis 3, God foresaw the cross. When he said, he will strike your heel, that hinted at the cross, and Jesus taking the spikes through his feet. You will. He will strike your heel, that is, the devil will strike the Messiah's heel, but he, the Messiah, will give you a death blow to your head. He will be your undoing. Your greatest nightmare is coming. I promise you. Now Satan here is Satan's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. That means he's not God. So there's a lot of things he doesn't know. So he heard this. Anyway, and, and, and his, his wicked conniving, cunning, genius intelligence, yet not omnipotent or omnipresent or omniscient, began to wonder, what did that mean? How did that mean? How's this going to be worked out? He didn't know how or from where this would happen. And then God's plan began to unfold around Genesis 12, verse 1, when we're introduced to a man named Abram. And the devil, not being privy to the mystery of God's plan of redemption, began to connect the dots when he heard God say this to Abram. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. The devil perked right up. Said, uh-oh. What's he talking about? And the great Abrahamic covenant came. What was God saying? Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going to work out my promise of Genesis 3.15. How are all the families of the earth going to be blessed? Through Messiah. That's how all the families of the earth are going to be blessed? Through Messiah. And so the enemy heard this, became aware of it. And Satan's destroyer, he realized, my destroyer is going to come through the Jewish people, the Semitic race, beginning with the head of the Semitic race, Abram. That's why you may not like everything Jewish people do, and they certainly are not perfect, but old friends, bless the Jewish people, pray for the Jewish people, pray for Jerusalem. And I tell you, it it, it terrifies Well, not terrifies me, but it disturbs me every time our government tries to divide that land because that's their land. We need leadership that blesses Israel. (laughs) But now back to this now, the the devil heard this, okay, Abram, and from his descendants, all oh, the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Uh-oh, something is up here. But then, skipping down time a while, we come to Moses, and the enemy became aware of a prophecy that Moses brought to the people, Deuteronomy 18:15. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. He wasn't talking about Joshua. He was not talking about any future king of Israel or Judah. He was looking down the tunnel of time to the arrival of Messiah Jesus. And he said, there's going to be a prophet like me. And when he speaks, you better listen. That's why when the Spirit of God fell upon Jesus at the Jordan River, the voice of God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Again, there it was. Satan's destroyer, the bruiser of his head, would be raised up from among the Jewish people. Again and again, the prophets prophesied things that began to add to Satan's fears. give you a couple of for instances. Isaiah predicted... That the Messiah would be born as a human male, born of a virgin, and that he would die for the sins of the world, and that with his stripes, healing would come to undo sin's curse. King David predicted that Satan's destroyer would die on a cross with hands and feet pierced, Psalms 22. But when he predicted that, there was no such thing as a cross. It had never been invented yet. And yet he predicted it. He saw it. Micah predicted that he would be born. The Messiah, the bruiser of Satan's head, would be born in the town of Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth, whose goings have been from old, even from everlasting. Micah predicted that an eternal personality would invade earth via Bethlehem. Wow! Wow! Zechariah predicted he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah predicted again that the Messiah's ministry would be earmarked by miraculous healing. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy, Isaiah 35. So when Jesus began to heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears, Isaiah had predicted it seven centuries earlier. So these and many more prophecies set the stage for the arrival of the awesome, amazing, astonishing Jesus of Nazareth. Can I tell you, hell's worst nightmare. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, And the wise men later came searching for him when he was about two years old. Satan moved Herod to order the slaughter of every male child two years old and younger in a desperate attempt to stop him, but he could not because God spoke to Joseph in a dream and said, get him out of here and flee to Egypt until I tell you to come back. And the Messiah was protected. Satan went, "Uh uh-oh, my destroyer has been born. I love that. So when Jesus appeared at the Jordan River to be baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove with a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Satan knew the battle was on. This was it. This was not two new personalities meeting each other for the first time. This was two ancient personalities, one created, one never created. Who had known each other for millennia, meaning again, it was a showdown in the desert, in the wilderness. When Jesus was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness and Satan attacked him with three to four major temptations. And Jesus defeated him with the word of God every single time. And it says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. But it says he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. I love that. From then on, the awesome, amazing, astonishing Jesus of Nazareth began a one-man campaign against the forces of hell. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, and he went throughout the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil because God was with him. I've got good news for you today. Are you beaten down by the devil Can I tell you, there is a champion in the room. There is a healer in the house. There is a Messiah on the scene. His name is Jesus. And if there's anything the devil fears, it's Jesus. If there's anything he doesn't want to hear preach, it's Jesus. So I'm going to give hell a little bit of heaven today and say we're going to talk up Jesus because Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your healer. We find in Scripture some amazing things, and I want you to notice this because we're talking today about the awesome, astonishing Jesus of Nazareth. Please understand with me that Jesus was not this long-haired, blue-eyed, Gentile-looking Jesus walking around in sandals saying good things, touching people and loving on people. That wasn't him. Jesus invaded planet Earth from heaven with an anointing to undo the works of the devil. Here's the first thing I find in the Scripture. The demon forces holding men in bondage instantly recognized him. Demon spirits regularly spoke out of the mouths of their tormented victims when Jesus arrived on the scene. And listen to this quote, Luke 4, 34. The demons said out of the demon-possessed man, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The devil knew who he was. Isn't it interesting, interesting that so many human beings don't realize who He is, but the demon spirits know exactly who Jesus is. The demon said out of one man, said, "Jesus, I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Can I tell you that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world? We may not be much up against the devil. Us alone against the devil is like a squirt gun shooting at the sun. But when Jesus is living inside of you, then you've got a power and you've got a person that the devil greatly fears. He doesn't fear you, but he fears your Jesus. That's why I'm going to preach up Jesus. I want us to know who we're walking with, who we're worshiping. James said, the demons believe. The demons believe and they shudder in terror and horror such as make a man's hair stand on end. There's only one person and one source recognized by hell as a genuine threat to its power, and that's the awesome, amazing Jesus of Nazareth. Thank God for Jesus. Everywhere he went, the demons cried out. Everywhere he went, the sicknesses were healed. Everywhere he went... The downtrodden were lifted up. The discouraged were encouraged. The dead were brought to life everywhere he went. He brought light and life and bread and hope and faith. That's why we preach Jesus and nothing else because what the world needs now is not a new philosophy. It is Jesus. What the world needs now is not just a financial breakthrough, but we need a strong dose of Jesus of Nazareth. There's power in that name. They recognized him. Oh, there he is, Jesus of Nazareth. But that wasn't the only thing. They not only recognized him, but they very much feared him. They said to Jesus, have you come to destroy us? When the man that was tormented with a legion of demon spirits saw Jesus approaching, he was the Gadarene demoniac. This guy was so demon possessed, and he's a poster boy for what the devil does to people the gathering demoniac. If you want to know what the devil does to people, there's your poster boy. Here he was. He ran around naked, cutting himself with stones and knives, damaging his body. He lived in the tombs, gravitated to death, was drawn to death, and, and that which was macabre and dark. He howled in the night. He had the entire town of Gadara terrified of him. He was supernatural. You chain him up and he snapped the chains like they were butter. He was supernatural. He was supernaturally possessed. He was truly a frightening individual until one day a boat landed on shore. And a man named Jesus got out. And this poor, tormented man, doomed, headed to hell, filled with demon powers and demon spirits, It says this man, this man fell down at the feet of Jesus and the demons spoke out of him and they said, in the plural, we beg you, do not torment us. And those demons that had the whole town in fear were now deathly afraid of the Jesus we worship today. Can I tell you again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I think it's very interesting, they knew so much that people don't know. They said, I know who you are, you're the Messiah, the Jesus, the Son of God, the anointed one of God. And not only that, but I also know that you're the one who's going to torment us when the time comes. We know that you are going to be our future judge. They were terrified that the judge they were going to meet in the future was going to deal with them right then and there, and they begged him not to because Jesus had total authority over the devil. Too often we lift up what the devil does and we marginalize God. But can I tell you, when Jesus comes on the scene, demons tremble. They are terrified of him. John wrote of Satan's final fate. He said in Revelations 20.10, Then the devil was hurled into the fiery lake of burning brimstone, where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever through the ages of the ages, worlds without end. The devil knows that his time is short. That's why there is so much chaos, so much bloodshed, so much hopelessness, so much despair in our world. That's why we're going to take the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far ends of the globe, because everywhere he is preached, people are set free. People are saved. People are delivered. Am I talking to anybody today who is excited about Jesus? Listen. They knew when they saw him, there's our future judge. And they were terrified of him. He cast the demons out of this man, and he was totally left in his right mind. But the best news is, Jesus has given to his people the power to bind the enemy through his name. Now listen carefully to me, church. The Bible says, let me tell you about your warfare. You are not battling flesh and blood. You're not battling personalities. A lot of what you're experiencing on the surface level has a root. And the root of it is spiritual. And the root is a satanic attack, a demonic attack. So often the church gets involved in personalities and issues, and we don't realize at our homes when our finances are in trouble or our marriage is in trouble or our kids have gone haywire, that we're not dealing with flesh and blood, but we're dealing with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and rulers of the darkness of this world. We're dealing with the enemy, and we've got to look behind the curtain and deal with the enemy that's behind it. You know, in our backyard, a skunk comes up from time to time. How do we know he's there? Because it stinketh. I mean, my dogs will go to the door. They can tell when when the skunk is near. They'll go to the door and sniff through the door. They know he's out there. Now, if all we ever did was say, well, there's that smell. There's that smell. It's that skunk smell. There's that skunk smell. We would never deal with it, would we? But you've got to go, well, where there is the skunk smell, there is a skunk. Where there is chaos, confusion, fear, doubt, attack, you're just seeing the results of an enemy who is attacking you. Don't focus on the smell, go for the skunk. And what I like about this is Jesus said, These signs will accompany those who believe. That's you. That's me. That's us. Do you believe in Jesus today? All right. These signs will accompany those who believe in Jesus. In my name, they will drive out demons. In my name. Then in Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, I have given you authority To overcome all the power of the enemy. How much of the power of the enemy? All the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I didn't just give you power, I gave you authority. And if you ask me, uh, if you gave me the choice between having power or authority, let me tell you which one I take authority. Authority is greater than power. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what do you mean? Let's look at a football field. Out there, you have 350-pound halfbacks who are brutes. Just to look at them is a frightening experience. I don't know how they sleep at night. I don't know what bed holds them. They are giants. They are monsters, these brutes. And they bow down right before that ball is hiked. They crouch down, and they look you in the eye, and they say, As soon as the ball is hiked, you're dead. Because I have power. And they do. And they can do whatever their power gives them the ability to do. But on the field is a little wimpy guy in a striped suit. And he's got a whistle. And isn't it amazing how when these great big brutes do something wrong, this little wimp runs up to them, and the brute stops. Why? Because the halfback has power. The referee has authority. See, authority means I'm speaking on behalf of someone else who is greater than me. Power is what you have in yourself. Authority is what you represent. When he blows that whistle, he's representing the entire NFL. And the brute comes to a stop. Jesus said, I've given you authority what does that mean? When you confront a demon spirit, a spiritual attack, when you say in the name of Jesus, all of the kingdom of God stands behind you and a great big brute has got to come to a stop. This is why I'm telling you today, I think some of you ought to stand in the middle of your living room. Your finances are under attack. Your marriage is under attack. Your life is under attack. You're under temptation. Can I tell you, you're not battling flesh and blood. You are battling principalities and powers. But guess what? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Stand in the middle of your living room. Take the name of Jesus and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind this attack Off my family, off my life, off my money, I bind it. Well, Pastor Jeff, that's kind of radical. It's no more radical than than the Bible. It's no more radical than what Jesus did. Well, I'm talking to things I can't see. That doesn't mean they're not there. And do you know that you'll find that suddenly the atmosphere of your home will change? Some of what was coming against you will pass away. And you will find that the anointing of God, the peace of God, the love of God, the glory of God, the liberty of the Holy Spirit will fall upon your home and fall upon your life. Can I tell you today that the awesome, mighty Jesus of Nazareth defeated the devil, totally took death, hell, and the grave out of his hands? And now he has said, I'm giving you now the authority in my name. To rebuke him, to bind him, to drive him out so that you can go forward in the will of God. Folks, thank God for the authority that Jesus gave to us in his name. How often we forget that we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with spirit powers and Jesus defeated every last one of them. My dad, bless his heart, I'm going to close with this story. My dad was not a believer until just a year or two before he died one day I was home and I didn't know he was there he was an intellectual he read all the time looked at everything by reason I didn't know that he was there and I entered into a spiritual battle and I started binding the devil with all my my voice will travel have voice will travel And I started, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you. Get out of my life. I did not know that just down the hall, after about 15 minutes of this, I heard my dad, Jeff, are you okay? I said, Dad, I know you don't understand, but I just bound the devil. Folks, let's stand together, can we? And I want to encourage you. Take the authority that God gave you. Take the authority over your home, in your marriage, over your money. Now, I know there's more to it. When it's money, you need wisdom and how to handle your money. But there is a spiritual force that needs to be bound. We deal with it regularly in the ministry. So often churches get into battles and they think it's personalities and flesh and blood and issues, but it's not at the core. It's spiritual. And you've got to go to the skunk and get rid of the skunk. And the skunk is always the devil. How many of you are glad for the victory that Jesus gave you Amen. I want to pray for you, Father. I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for the awesome Jesus of Nazareth who died for us, rose from the dead, defeated Satan by his blood. The awesome, amazing, astonishing Jesus of Nazareth Delivered us from certain destruction. Set us on high. Washed our sin away. Filled us with the Spirit. Changed our nature. And now, Lord, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And we are always made to triumph in Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we come to you I'm going to ask you, church, as we pray, think for a moment. Where in my life do I need to exercise my authority as a child of God? Where do I need to exercise the authority of the name of Jesus? You ought to be mad at the devil. You ought to be angry at what the enemy has tried to do to you. I want to encourage you. Take that name. It's your whistle. Blow it in the devil's face. Bind him. The first service, a woman brought these cigarettes down and a lighter. She said, right there, the Lord set me free. I want to tell you, there's a healer and a deliverer in the house today. These are going straight into the trash where they belong. You know what? She got set free. And I'm believing God now for you to take what God's given you and exercise it. As we worship, I want you to think for a moment, where do I need to exercise my authority? And then say, I'm going to do it. This is the last day I'm putting up with this attack.